0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. I started my journey with Christ when I was 23. I, I was not a Christian uh, up until 23. Uh, I had a unique journey in that I, I grew up in a, in a very uh, challenging environment. My mother and father uh, when they came together, my mother had me when she was twenty, uh, but it was it was a very unusual circumstance that she got pregnant before she was married and they got married, but they shouldn 't have got married they got divorced shortly after that and i didn 't see my dad for many, many years and so I should have been a statistic, and I was ending up you know following the path of the world up until twenty three you name it i 've done it i 've seen it all i 've been in all of it i 've done the drugs the scene the whole thing i 've been in all of it and when I got Introduced to Christ at 23, uh, what started my journey with, with Christ was three questions. Three questions that I started asking myself, and I started asking God. And I didn't really know who God was, I didn't know who Jesus was, but I wanted to know something about my life because I, I was a dropout in college, I was going nowhere, I was trying to do something on my own strength. And like most millennials today, just kind of kind of wandering through my 20s without any purpose, without any, you know, direction for my life, not really knowing why I even went to college or what God had for my life, and I started asking these three questions, and here's the three questions in life, and if you can answer these three questions, you're on your journey with God. Number one is the question of existence, which is why am I alive? Why am I here on this earth? The second question is the question of significance. Does my life really matter? Does it really matter that I'm here? And then the third question is the question of intention, which is what is my purpose? Why am I here? Does my life really matter? And what is my purpose? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Most people, when they're young, they don't ask that question. They usually don't ask that question till later on in life, till it's too late, till they've already let too much life pass by without really doing anything about it. And so I wanna start you on this journey this morning. And when you start on this journey, let me just say that it is a dangerous journey. Because if you start on this journey with God and you're truly earnest, you really want to know the answer to those questions, and you really want to live out the answers to those questions, it will change the dynamic of everything in your life. And it will separate you from just being a believer in Jesus to becoming a disciple of Jesus. Amen? All right, so let's talk about the first question. The first question is, why am I alive? Uh, in Proverbs 16, 4, it says, the Lord, he gives us the answer, he has made Everything for his own purposes. So let me give you the answer. Real simple question, but real simple answer. You are alive to fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's the reason why you're alive. So if you're going to college, you're not going to college just to do, get a degree and do something for your life. You're here to, in this life to fulfill God's purpose. And the earlier you discover that, the more impact you will have in life. If you wait too long, it will pass you by. There are moments in your life where God will kind of speak to you and and, and invite you into this concept of why you're alive. And this is what happened when I was 23. I was riding down the road uh, in in my van. I had a furniture company that I'd started, just a small company. And I was driving from Atlanta, which is where we are from, up to New York, which is where I was living. And right in the middle of that drive, somewhere around Charlotte, North Carolina, I had a visitation by God in my van. I was not even asking for Christ. I was just going about my own daily life, and I had this visitation. It's kind of like what Paul talks about, where he was walking down the road of Damascus, and all of a sudden, God just visited him, and he fell before the Lord, and that's when his whole life was transformed from this religious uh, you know, persecutor of Christians to this now incredible disciple and apostle of Christ. And so I had this moment with God where I surrendered my life to Christ in the van, I drove to Richmond, Virginia, which I knew a person in Richmond that had talked to me a little bit about Christ. And I told him, I said, today I had this encounter with God, and I don't know what it's about. And immediately he broke into this personal prophecy. And he said it to me, he put his hand on my head, and this is, I'm 23 years old. And he said, you, Dennis, are going to do something very significant with your life. And he said, you're called to be a pastor of amazing church. And he said, this church is going to grow, and it's going to change the lives of thousands of people. And he said, and you're going to travel all around the world. You're going to train leaders. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I remember as he's speaking these things to me as a 23-year-old, I remember I'm thinking, there is no way that's coming to pass. I'm just 23. I have no, there's no capacity in me or no, no desire in me to be a pastor. I'm a businessman. And I went home that day, and I just pondered, that question why am i alive and here's what the bible says in ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we heard of christ and got our hopes up he had his eye on us in other words before you even knew god he knew you He had his eye on you. In fact, the psalmist says he knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb. He had a divine plan for you before you were ever born. And it says he had designs on us for glorious living. Everybody say glorious living. (laughs) Now I want you to ask yourself, am I, in my life right now, could I define my life as glorious living? Is it a life that brings glory to God? Is it glorious, or is it just existing? Or is it just maintaining? Is it just surviving? What is it? Because he said, I never put you on this earth to just kind of take up space. I put you on this earth for glorious living. And then he says this. He says, part of the overall purpose that he is working out in everything and everyone. And the Lord spoke to me about that. He said, do you understand that you cannot find your purpose outside of Christ? In other words, if you don't know Christ, you will never know why you exist. You'll never know why you're here on this earth, and you will never fulfill your purpose. There's a famous TV series called Walking Dead. How many of you have ever heard of that, Walking Dead? How many of you know that without Christ, you are walking dead? You are alive physically, but you are dead spiritually, and there is no way for you to connect with God until you surrender your life to Jesus. And when I surrendered my life to Christ at 23, that's when God began to unfold purpose and my reason for living. The second question is, does my life really matter? And this is the question of what I call significance. I believe that everyone on this earth lives on one of three levels. One of three levels. The first level, which I call the survival level. The survival level is the dominant level where the majority of the world lives, where you're just kind of living day to day, just trying to survive, just trying to pay your bills, just trying to get by, just trying to make it from day to day, one day at a time, Lord Jesus. You know, just trying to to make... And in reality if you really get outside of the world of America and you get and see the world, you'll see that the largest percentage of the world is living in abject poverty. And and a good percentage of the world lives on less than $2 a day. They're they're just surviving. They're just barely making it. They're not thinking about their purpose in life or significance or making a difference. They're just thinking about, where am I going to get bread this morning? Or where am I going to get something to drink? Or how am I going to make it? If the government doesn't come through or somebody doesn't help me, I'm going to die. But think about how many people in America... They just live to survive. Uh, there's, a, there's sort of a, a, a new thing happening in the millennial generation. We don't really need money. We just don't, we don't, we just want to have experiences in life. Let me just say: if you're a millennial, you need money. Yeah. <laughs> and and I know this is why a lot of people are voting for socialist candidates now because they want people to bail them out of their college loan debts and all the things that they got themselves in messes with. We just need somebody to take care of us. You know who takes care of you? God. Come on. God is your provider, he is your supplier. When you start looking to a government to take care of you, you are missing the point of who God is, amen? All right, so the second level is what I call the success level, and I think this is where most people in America are striving to get, which is, I wanna get to a place where I'm successful. I'm successful in business, I'm successful in my marriage, I'm successful in my family, I just have success. And I think that's the, the, the ultimate goal for most people in America, the living, the American dream. I want to just challenge you with the American dream. Could can, can you ever think about, is the American dream actually God's dream? When we think of the American dream, the American dream is the pursuit of happiness. Now, you'd show me in the Bible anywhere where God says, pursue happiness. He says, pursue significance. And significance sometimes does not involve happiness. In fact, to get to where you make a difference, you're going to have to go through some times where you don't feel happy all the time. Amen. All right, so that's the second level. But the third level is where we're trying to go, which is the significance level. And this is where you shift from living for just yourself to now you begin to make a difference in the lives of others, where you start to think about others outside of us four and no more, where it's no longer just about me or my family or let me take a selfie or look at me on Facebook or Instagram, where it's really about how can I make a difference in the lives of others. Now, once you get to that place of significance, that's when you're starting to enter in to this concept of, of purpose and the difference between a believer and a disciple is what level you're striving to live on all right all right so then the third question is what is my purpose and this is uh this is a statement I remember I was riding in a car with one of my mentors uh Dr. John Maxwell and he made this comment to me and I remember writing it down immediately I "I typed it in my phone he says you cannot help others define life until you define it for yourself if you can't define it for yourself, how are you going to help others? Now, think about that just from a parent standpoint. How can you help your children start to define their life if they don't see their parents, their mother and father, have already defined who they are and what they're trying to do for Christ? Without a vision, the Bible says, my people cast off restraint. They, they, they basically lift off the restraints of the world. If you don't know where you're going, it really doesn't matter where you're going. Mm-hmm. You know in Alice in Wonderland, when Alice is wandering around in Wonderland and she finally comes upon the, the Mad Hatter and she says, which way do I go? Which way do I go? And the Mad Hatter says to Alice, "Well, which way are you going? And she goes, I don't know which way I'm going. And he said, it, well then it doesn't matter which way you go. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which way you go. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what kind of degree you get in college, it doesn't matter what job you have, it doesn't matter what you do with your life, if you don't know where you're going, It doesn't matter, but if you define where you're going, why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, then it matters, then you become a little bit more serious about life. All right, so I'm 23, I'm trying to figure out my purpose in life, and the Lord takes me through a process, I'm gonna take you through that process, and this process, if you'll follow this process, it will change your life. The first step in discovering your purpose, this is the first thing. How do I discover my purpose? You write this down if you're taking notes. That purpose begins with a cross experience. With a cross experience. All right, so again, remember, Jesus is on the earth. He's walking through the earth. It's an amazing story. I mean, the reality of Jesus, this is hard for us to wrap our head around, is this is a man who only lived 33 years on the earth. He was 30 when he started his ministry, and he was 33 when he went to the cross. So for three years, he did ministry on the earth in one nation, the nation of Israel, primarily in Jerusalem. He never left that nation, never visited any other country, never marketed himself on Facebook or Instagram. He was never known famously around the, uh, around the city as somebody famous. And yet here we see this man at 30, 30 years old to 33, so changed the world that here we are, some almost 2,000 years later, a billion people following him. The, it's larger than any other religion in the world. Now, what was it about him that in that short period of time that caused such a dynamic transformation of a few people that then transformed many other people? He told them this. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. So I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Here's what he said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self so here's how the lord started talking to me about this he said i'm 23 and i'm sitting having breakfast one morning and i'm just minding my own business my goal was to be successful i told all my friends i'm going to be a millionaire by the time i'm 30 and i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to do this i'm going to do that anytime you lead out with i you're in trouble right there i'm going to and so i'm sitting there having breakfast i'm just brand new christian just eating Honey Nut Cheerios. I remember it very specifically that morning. (laughs) And I had this small, still small voice speak to me in my heart and said, Dennis, I want you to sell your business and I want you to move to Richmond, Virginia, where there's a little small church starting there that I have prepared for you to help that church. I want you to help that church. You know one person that goes to that church, that was the guy I was telling you about, the prophesy. Go to that church and you just start helping. And he says, I'll tell you what's next after you do that. Now, what I've learned about God is he won't give you the whole purpose up front. He won't give you the big picture all the way up because you can't handle it. You can't handle everything God's gonna do in your life, but you can handle it step by step. And what God does is he'll give you a little picture, a little glimpse of your first steps, and then he'll wait and see if you're gonna obey him. And really what I call that is a crossroad experience where you come to a crossroad We have a picture of a crossroad, I think. If you come to a crossroad and you have to decide, which way am I going to go? Which way am I going to go? I guess we don't have the picture, but we had the picture. It just didn't translate into your your movie theater here, but there's a picture. Picture a crossroad. Have you ever been to a crossroad? All right, if you're like me, you're a man, you're not going to ask GPS which way to go. You're not going to ask for directions. You're just going to (laughs) decide. This is the way men are. Men are on an adventure. We don't want directions. We don't want anybody telling. We're just going to go, and we'll figure it out as we go, and this is why we're so messed up, so stinking messed up, and we mess up our families, and we mess up our lives because we make our own choices outside of God. So you come to this crossroad, and you got to decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? I guarantee you everyone in this room will have that experience with God. And you may be having it right now. You can have, in fact, can I just tell you something? It's an experience you have more than one time. We're 62, and we're right now at another crossroad decision. What we had to do, we just turned our church over. We're in the process of turning our church over to the next generation that's leading. And it's not because we can't keep leading. Our church is growing, thriving. But the Lord said to us, don't turn the church over when it's leveled off or you're too old. Wait till don't wait till that happens. Turn it off while it's still got a lot of momentum. It's debt-free. You have an emerging young leaders that speak the language of the millennial generation, and you don't let that church miss the, the the bell curve and start to go down again. Turn it over at its height, not at its at its at its downside. Amen? So we're having to let go of that. We're having to let go of that and go down this crossroad of what's next for us. And we're trying, we're trying to find this purpose. But here's what happens. When you come to the crossroad, it's a cross. It's which way am I going to go? Am I going to go God's way, or am I going to go my way? And what happens a lot of times is we're not mentally prepared for those decisions, and sometimes we just choose to go our way, and then we spend the rest of our life asking God to bless our choices. We're saying, God, bless my business. Bless this marriage that I chose. Bless this. Bless that. And when the blessings don't come, we get mad at God. And he said, you know, if you would have just listened to me back when I spoke to you, remember I told you to do a certain thing and you didn't want to do it? That's your cross. And for me, it was selling my business. It was letting go of the dream of becoming a millionaire and following Christ, moving to Richmond, Virginia, starting in a little bitty church of 40 people and going to this church for five years where we would eventually become uh, youth pastors and we would get married and we'd start this journey. When you go through this cross experience... It changes everything because God is saying, "Okay, if I can trust you with these smaller decisions, I can trust you with bigger decisions. I can trust you with more." Amen. I was—I don't know if you ever watched the, the the TV program The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Have y'all ever seen that? Well, Colleen and I'll just admit we're weak. We watch it, and we we were watching it. We were watching it, the, the, the Bachelorette last season. Last season yeah we're closet, closet bachelorettes watchers bachelorettes and bachelors I know what's going on right now and uh I already know who he ends up with i just i read ahead but um so I'm carnal in that way so but anyway um the bachelorette in the if you watch the season there was a there was a Part of the season where she 's got this one guy on there who 's supposedly a Christian, and he's you know he 's really weird he 's a weird Christian. Let me just tell you this about Christians Christians real Christians are not weird all right and, and when you get filled with the Holy Ghost that doesn 't mean it 's licensed to become weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird, okay, just so you know that just i 'm I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but i 'm not weird okay and so anyway. This guy was really weird, and he was talking to her about, you know, he would never date her if she was ever with another guy, blah, blah, blah. And then she comes out, and she says, well, I slept with the, who currently is the bachelor, I slept with him in the windmill. We had sex four times. All right? And and this is what she said at the end. This is what she said at the end. And Jesus still loves me. (laughs) Remember that? Have you heard Remember that? Jesus still loves me. I had sex four times in the windmill with a guy I barely knew, and I'm a Christian, and Jesus still loves me. Okay, let me just tell you where I have a problem with that. Now, now, there's the truth. Jesus still loves her. Yes, he does. But there's a difference between Jesus still loves me and Jesus is for me and for what I'm doing with my life. He's, he's supportive of what my decisions are. And what's happening in America right now is there's a whole new brand of Christianity that's starting with... Jesus loves me in re, regardless of what I do, regardless of my choices and my decisions. And that's true. But you're never going to live your life filled with purpose if you think like that. You're never going to live your life if you think... All right, and so here's what the Lord said to me. He said, cross experience is simply a subtraction and an addition equation. He said, what most people do, in, especially in America, is they add Christ but they forget to subtract self. Did y'all hear what I just said? They add Christ on top of themselves instead of losing themselves. And so they try to build their life from the foundation of self and then just add a little dose of Christ on top of it and claim grace, grace. God overlooks all these stuff I'm doing. And, and, and the fact is, God, yeah, God has grace for those who repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and go back towards God. Now do people who continue down the path of their own way and their own will and then say, God, bless me. God, help me. God, mir- bail me out. God, do miracles in my life. Are you following me? All right, so it's simply, a, simply an equation of subtraction and addition. You add Christ, but you subtract yourself you have a cross experience. The second thing is purpose is conceived through a holy discontent. Now, over the last few years, I've noticed a real shift in America, particularly amongst the millennial generation of kind of living for causes now. And the new religion that has now emerged in the younger generation is not Christianity, it's social justice. And social justice has taken the place of Christianity as a movement in the hearts of young America, and they find causes such as Black Lives Matter, the LGBT movement, uh, immigration uh, tr- tr- you know, laws, things of that nature. And, and there's a whole shift in our nation that's moving in that direction. And, it's, and, and the reason is, is because young people are trying to find purpose, They're trying to find a reason for their existence. And so they find a cause and they get involved in a cause. And I'm not dissing any of those causes. I'm not speaking negative against any cause. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that when God puts something in your heart, it's called a holy discontent where you start to realize there's something that's going wrong in this world that God has put a burden in my heart to make a difference in, to change to change. All right, so let me ask you, what's your holy discontent? Have you ever sat down and thought through what's really bothering you about what's going on in this world and then thought through it to the point of what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do that's going to make a difference in that situation? When we started Victory, I was reading the scripture uh, one day and we were trying to kind of come up with the heart of God in our church and what's our vision and so forth. And the Lord took me over to the book of Acts, chapter one, in verse eight. And I'm, and I'm reading through this, 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 this one verse, and the Lord says to me, he said, before you read this verse, he said, I want you to take heed on this verse. He said, these are the last words that I spoke before I ascended into heaven. These are the last words. Now I want you to think about this. The last words that God speaks before he dies on a cross and goes to heaven. All right, he's about to say this. So I'm I'm paying attention, and here's what he says. And he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in churches that never even talked about the Holy Spirit. That's a sad thing, isn't it? What a sad state of affairs when you have a church, you go into church all your life and never hear anything about the Holy Spirit. You hear about Jesus, you hear about Father, but what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. He's kind of out there. I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about all these supernatural things. That doesn't make sense to my natural mind, so I'm just going to shut that down. I'm going to take all the supernatural things and make them natural. And then I'm going to make this statement, oh, they all passed away when the apostles died. That's one of the greatest heresies in the body of Christ today, that the supernatural... How many of you know the supernatural has not passed away? God is a supernatural God. He's still healing people, he's still delivering people, he's still doing miracles. How many know there's plenty there, the demons that were on the earth in Jesus' day did not leave the earth? They are still here. They're working in the earth just like they were. In fact, they're working in America just like they are everywhere else. In fact, you have them in your neighbor's house, you have them at your job. Some of them you're married to. You have people with demons that need to get out of people. And the only way they come out is supernaturally. They don't come out through just going to church and being a good person. You have to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, all right? So he says, and you shall receive power if the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and this is what he says, you shall be witnesses, everybody say witnesses. witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. As I'm sitting there reading that, I hear the Lord say to me, he says, now you understand the context of that verse is much bigger than what it seems, he said he's speaking to a certain group of people that are living in Jerusalem, that are surrounded by Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world are coming to, to the book of Acts. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says the whole world gathered there in Jerusalem for, for, for Passover. And he's preparing them, but what he was doing, he was laying a template for ministry. And here's what he said to me. He said, What are your what what are your what are the things you're the most wholly discontent about and i said well number one i'm really discontent about the state of the family in america i said it seems to be getting worse it seems to be being redefined like marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman now has taken place of marriage and a woman and a man what about you know just the whole concept of sexuality all these different things family life, why are there so many broken, why do pastors now when they stand up in congregations and they teach about marriage, it's so foreign to so many people? Why are so many people going to church but still living together and never committing to marriage? Why are there so many broken marriages, divorces, children growing up in broken homes, abuse, all those kinds of things? And he said to me, that is your Jerusalem. He said, that's your Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your home, your family. He said, it doesn't do any good to reach the whole world if your family is not being reached and being touched by God. So he said to me, build your church in such a way that you're always healing and restoring and building strong families. Then he said, what else is a holy discontent? I said, well, well it really bothers me that I live in Atlanta and we have thousands and thousands of churches. We have 45 megachurches just in the city perimeter of Atlanta. It's a massive church city. And yet, our communities around the churches are not being impacted by the church. Every Sunday, they see the crowds of people waffle into the church, have their church experience, and go home and check off their box. And nothing is happening around the church that is saying the church is affecting this community. And and he said to me, that's your Samaria. I mean, that's your Judea. Your Judea is your community. And he said, I put a church in a community to transform it, not to blend into it, not to have a nice building in it, but to actually impact it so that you change the community around you. And so we have thousands of people in our church that are out every week doing something in the community. We've started healthcare centers. We've started pregnancy centers for people who don't want to have abortions. We've created all kinds of ministry for the homeless. We have ministry to strippers. We have ministry to the gay community. We have all kinds of ministry in the church that when people come in, it's not just going to church, it's being transformed. Then he said, Samaria. And I thought, what do you mean Samaria? And then the Lord said to me, who were the Samaritans to the Jews? He said they were the other culture. They were another culture that they didn't mix together because they were, they were not of the same mindset or mind culture. And he said, if you read in the Bible, in Acts 2, he said all the nations of the world, when they gathered together in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came down. And he said the New Testament church was not born out of an all-white congregation yeah. from Salt Lake, U-City, Utah. <laughs> Or an all-black congregation, or an all-Hispanic congregation, or all-Asian. There's no such thing in the Bible as an Asian church, a black church, a white church, a Hispanic church. There's no such thing as that. And yet, Martin Luther King said this in 1968, and it's still true today. 85% of churches in America are one race only. Now, what does that say to an emerging generation that is mixing with each other, going to school with each other, and interacting with each other, and then they look at the church as a one-race-only Secular secularized segregated congregation. Does that make sense? And so the Lord said, You're to be a church that reconciles culture. And we started on our journey 30 years ago. We now have 142 different nationalities in our church. It's the most multicultural church in America. Nothing's even close. Every Sunday, every Saturday night, you see this multi- it's like the world gathering together on the weekends. And coming together, how many of you know when God's involved, he can break down all the cultural barriers, all the racial barriers, all those things. And then finally, thirdly, uh, fourthly, he said, reach the whole world. And this is huge for every church. And the Lord said, what is, what's your burden? I said, my burden is for the, the incredible poverty of the world. I just, I, when I go to the third world, I just can't come back and be the same again. We have to do something with the resources we have in America to change the world. So we made a dedication in our church to give 20% or more to missions every year for the rest of our life as a church. And I, and I heard the Lord say, I want you to set a goal. I said, I, our goal is $100 million but by the time we s- retire from the church, $100 million. And last, last week we celebrated 30 years. We've sown $70 million into missions over those 30 years. Now, why do I say that? Purpose is born out of a holy discontent. Yeah. And you've got you've to allow yourself to feel the pain of other people for you to really get that discontent. It's very hard when you're comfortable in life to allow yourself to go there and feel the pain of others. But once you allow yourself to do that, it will motivate you to do something to make a difference in the lives of other people. Amen? And then finally... As God began to close this out with me, he said, purpose is activated when you step out in faith. And the thing that the Lord said to me, I remember sitting in a leadership conference back when I was in Bible school, and Dr. David Yonggi Cho, who was the pastor of the largest church in the world at the time, had 850,000 members in Seoul, Korea, he made this astounding statement to me that I never forget. We were just young, going to Bible college, hadn't even started the church. And he said, one common characteristic of every great leader in the Bible, and every great leader in the church world today, is they all carry the gift of faith. He said they all have different personalities, different styles of ministry, different emphasis in their churches, but they all have one common characteristic: they have the gift of faith. And he said, this is what separates believers from disciples, is how much you allow your faith to drive you versus your circumstances, versus your feelings. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's God, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What we've discovered in our church is that when you function by faith, and by the way, at some point, you're gonna have to come out of this building, and you're gonna have to step out in faith and buy a building. You're gonna have to step out in faith and give money, You're going to have to do this. Uh, And here's what happened to me. This is what happened to Colleen and I when we were 48 years old. We're 48 years old. This is what, uh, 14 years ago. We're 62 now. Colleen will be 63 next month. She'll be one year older than me. I married an older woman. Colleen, stand up for just a moment. I I want people to see what God looks like on 62. Come on, stand up. Just stand up, just stand up. (laughs) come on tell me tell me tell me that's not a God God thing right there (laughs) 62 is the new 40 y'all know that right for all of us that are 60 well we're 48 and and we were in a building program just like you're in just like you're in we were believing God for paying off our debts and everything and we were just like your pastors we were saying what can we sacrifice and I'm up in my office and I read this book called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Some of y'all have read that book. It's a dangerous book. It costs you a lot of money if you read that book. He talks about giving away cars and houses and all these kind of things. And, and, he's, and I hear the Lord say to me, he said, could you give away everything? Everything you have, could you give it away? Like all your money. And I remember he said, Lord, remember when I was young, one service, I was 20 something years old. I gave away everything. I emptied my checking accounts he said, how much was that? I said, oh, I was about $1,000. <laughs> he said, what about now? You're 48. Can you give it away again? Now, how many of you know when you're 48, you got more than $1,000? Yeah, yeah. You got 401Ks, you got savings accounts, you got investments, you got different things like that. And so I said, Lord, I don't know if I could do that. So I called Colleen up to the office. I said, Colleen, I'm dealing with something right now in my heart. I said, I don't think the Lord's asking me to do it. I just think he's asking me, would I do it? And so I said, what do you think about giving up all of our money? Or everything that's in our checking account, everything that's in our savings account, all of our, our retirement account, we'd have to cash it in, pay the taxes on it, and give what's left over. What would you think about that? And starting over at 48, and I'm thinking, surely Colleen's gonna talk good sense into me. And here's what she says, let's do it. I said, are you kidding me? So I wanted a third opinion, so I called my daughter up who was about 13 or 12, something like that. And I said, what do you, now Lauren, you understand what I'm saying here. We're starting all over again. That means it might not go well. And she said, dad, let's do it. So I called up my accountant. and I said, what does this cost and taxes? How do I do it? And he says, don't do this, Dennis. This is crazy faith. This is crazy. I said, I know. I said, but there's just something inside of us right now that we just feel like we have to step out in faith and do it. And so we, Figured out the amount and it was a big check. It was lot. It was several zeros, and we wrote the check and we gave it to the church. And we and I said we got to do it quick or the devil will talk us out of it. How I many of you know if you don't do it right away the devil will work on you and make sure you don't do it? So we wrote the check and we gave it to the church. And the next day I woke up and I calling, I said, Colleen, we don't have any money. Literally, we got just enough in our checking account to pay our bills and that's it. Now we have a paycheck that's coming, but we don't have any savings. We have no investments. I'm not saying any of you should do this. I am, it's not, you have to have a word from the Lord on this one, okay? This is not trying to get you to do this. So we did it. I said, but you know what? There's something about this that makes me feel good that we could do it, that we could do it. Two months later, something happened in our life financially. I can only, it would take me forever to explain. I don't have time enough to explain it. But it was such a miracle that all the money we gave away times two was back in our investments, back in our accounts, back in everything. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. What I've learned a long time ago is you can't outgive God, you can't outserve God. All God's asking for is will you follow Him and obey Him by faith. I want to pray over you this morning. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to ask you to consider your life with Christ. Are you living on purpose? Have you given up everything to follow Christ and saying, I'm no longer just going to be a believer in Christ, but I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church. Go to awakenchurch.com.